You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Today, I get to open our new series called Redefined. Everybody say Redefined. <laughs> this would be an epic event uh, in our church because we're making history, basically. Why? Because... Um, this will be the longest series that we will ever, ever, ever do as a church. And we will be doing this in 16 weeks. Oh, everybody will say, what? Yeah, four months. We're going to do this four months. So please tell, tell your neighbor, be here four months every Sunday. Basically, we're going to go through the Sermon on the Mount. And just to give you a, um, an outline or an overview in the next 16 weeks, this is what we will be talking about for the next 16 weeks. It's uh, Beatitudes, that's today. Uh, next week's going to be Salt and Light, followed by Jesus and the Law, Murder and Anger, Adultery and Lust, Telling the Truth, Non-Retaliation, Active Love, Spiritual Disciplines, How to Pray, God and Possessions, Worry and Anxiety, Judging Others, Ask, Seek and Knock, Entering God's Kingdom, Two Foundations, and we end there, okay? So I know it's medyo nakakapagod nga eh. I, I had a hard time, 16 weeks, you know, just, just mentioning this one. But there are two gospel authors who actually wrote a Sermon on the Mount. One would be Matthew and one would be Luke. But uh, Matthew has a, a more detailed approach on, on the subject. So for our purpose, we're going to use Matthew, all right? But this sermon, okay, this sermon happens to be the first and the longest sermon that Jesus had ever done. In fact, um, Brian Schwartzley says that the Savior's sermon, meaning the Sermon on the Mount, is crucial. Why? For it is one of the lengthiest, most complete expositions of what Christ expects from His disciples in their attitudes, behavior, and service to God. Now, this is quite true. This is the really lengthiest. But if you are a disciple of Christ, Jesus expects us to live in this way, in this manner, when you talk about the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount is the most read and the most uh, studied sermons across the globe. Um, yet, yet it is also one of the most misunderstood. Okay? In fact, it is misquoted uh, Sermon of Jesus. Why is that? Like, you know, there, may, there are some people who actually um, glean from the Beatitudes and said, you know, uh, this is good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And there you go. We have vow of poverty. And that's basically not the real reason why Jesus said that. Um, there are some communities out there that say, you know, you cannot judge us because Jesus said, uh, do not judge lest you be judged, right? So a lot of people all over the world have been misquoting, mi uh, not understanding the meaning of, of the Sermon on the Mount. So the question is today, why did we name this Redefined? To best illustrate this, according to language historian Anne uh, Curzon, she says this, that words change meaning all the time and over time. She says this is a phenomenon that words really change their meaning every time, every single time. Now, to give you an example of that, like, for example, this word, um, nice. Everybody say nice. Okay, can you tell that to your neighbor? You're nice. Right? It's nice. And, you know, everybody knows, everybody knows that this is a positive thing. But, but the word uh, nice used to mean Get this, okay? I, this is the first time also I, 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 got to, I got the shock of my life. Nice, the first usage of this, this word means silly. 
Yeah, you heard it right. Silly, foolish, or simple. Okay? It's far from the compliment that you hear, hey, you look nice. In other words, you look silly. Okay, so now every time you're going to talk to your friend, you know, you look nice. So you have a double meaning now, right? Another word is, you know, of course, silly, but what happened to silly? Okay, let's look at silly. Okay, meanwhile, silly went the other direction. And the earliest use of it, it refers to things that are worthy or blessed. Can you imagine? You are blessed when you say, hey, you're silly. You're blessed. That's, that's a thought. Okay? Another word, another word actually is this word, awful. I mean, have you, how many of you use this word, that smells awful? Have, have you ever used that word? It's awful, right? But awful actually used, used to be known as worthy of awe. That's why it's full of awe, awful, I guess. And we use that actually as our expression to the Almighty God. We say, ah, the awful majesty of God. That's what we use, right? All right, and now it's different. That's why we need to be careful how we understand scriptures, okay? Why? Because we might, we might uh, miss out on the original meaning of the scriptures, the original intent of the scriptures, what Jesus is really trying to say or what God is really trying to say to us. Now, just like in the days of Jesus, the Jewish people basically also misunderstood God's law. Remember? Remember, um, in fact, uh, Jesus would always hit on the Pharisees. Why? Because over time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law, what happened? They missed out on the heart of the law. In other words, it became to a point legalistic. It became to a point that they used the law to be judgmental to people. In fact, you know, it's, it, you know, Jesus Christ was always, you know, against them, offending the Pharisees and how they, they think of it. We all know that the Ten Commandments, basically God gave this to Moses, had a reason. And it's not just about a bunch of rules and regulations, okay? It is about a covenant. The, the Ten Commandments, basically the law, the God's law, was, was a covenant that God made between Him and His people. And the key word there is because there is this relationship. That's why they have this covenant now, this law. And it is used to protect, to love. Not the other way around. Not to be legalistic and say, you know, you have sinned against God. You know, stone Him to death, you know. An adulterous woman would be stoned to death during those, those times. Okay? Um, that's why Jesus said, I came, okay, not to abolish the law, but to what? To fulfill it. In other words, Jesus came to redefine the thinking of the Jewish people. He came in, says, you're missing the whole point. Okay? You're not understanding what the law means. They have misunderstood the law and the meaning has changed. Now, all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you'll find out that it's about Jesus redefining things to them, making them understand that this is how you should interpret what, what the law of God is saying. Okay? Going back to Anne Curzon, she says that we are human. We love to play with words in creative ways. And in the process, we change the language. You know, as a church in Victory, we're not here to be creative with God's word. 
uh, we're not here to change the meaning of God's Word, but we're here really to dig in and understand what God is truly conveying to all of us. Pastor Ariel is in Wheaton College studying for the next three weeks. Okay, and that course will probably move around three years. About three years. So it's going to be hard, but it's important that we need to know now and understand what the Scripture is really saying. And we have a group of people, even Pastor Jansen Morados is already there. All our senior pastors are in the study. We're actually also studying the Word. Uh, it's, uh, we have schooling every uh, twice a month. So that's, that's how it is. So in this 16 weeks, okay, in this 16 weeks, this is my question to all of you or to all of us. Are we, are we willing to let Jesus redefine our way of thinking about Him, about His commands, and about His kingdom? Are you willing? Uh, are you willing? I'm just kidding. Are you willing? Yes, amen. If you are, then I want you to stand on your feet and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. The title of our message is about the Beatitudes, about Christian character. And let's turn to uh, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's bow down our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is your son who became flesh, who dwelt among us. Lord, it is our desire today that you will reveal the scriptures, the true meaning of your scriptures. Lord, help us to take out our old mindsets Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and open our hearts, our minds, our very soul, and open our spiritual eyes that we may truly receive from you. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, when Jesus began his, his ministry, his work, okay, according to the Gospel of Matthew, he went through all the towns in Galilee. What did he do? He, he taught in synagogues. Um, he proclaimed the gospel in the, of the kingdom and he healed every disease and affliction. We all know that. And because of this, his fame basically spread throughout the land. And still, the people, okay, the crowds, kept on bringing all those sick people in, <coughs> the afflicted ones. In fact, even the demon possessed. You all know this, right? Um, he healed the sick, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them all. Now, the question is, why did Jesus have to do those things? What was the show all about? Because we all know that all throughout, you know, his ministry, he did miraculous signs and wonders. In fact, we had a series on the miracles of Jesus Christ. And what was the purpose? Why did Jesus have to put in the show? Okay? 
If you go back to uh, the, uh, the chapter before Matthew 5, our, our main text, Matthew 4 verse 17 says, this is the reason why. From the time Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, it was really about His kingdom and it was at hand. Now the world that we have, the world that we know has its own kingdom But when Jesus stepped into this world, He says, my kingdom has come. That's the very reason why He's saying, hey, I'm doing this work. I'm I'm doing all the miracles. We all know this. The lame walk, the blind see, okay, uh, the dead rise. We all know about these miracles. And all of this really is to speak about His kingdom manifesting here on earth. It was already here. That's why there was multitudes and multitudes of crowds coming, flocking to Jesus. It's kind of like this, okay? Like this morning in Paranaque, I was really shocked that it was super full and the 11 o'clock service was double full. Despite the fact that all of us are full here and they're full there, a lot of people are coming in, okay? Uh, of course, there was breakfast in, in Paranaque, but I, that was not the whole point. But people were there because they were excited to meet Jesus. And that's, uh, that's really the amazing part of this. It was about His kingdom coming. And in our text, in verse 1, seeing the crowds, basically, this is Jesus seeing the crowds. So you need to understand that this is God who became flesh. And Jesus saw the crowd can you, can you just imagine that this, these are the eyes of God that see the crowd? And if, and if truth be told, all of us, we don't like the crowds. How many of you like the crowds? How many of you like to go to MRT and join the crowd in the station, right? How many of you like the crowded traffic? Nobody likes the crowd. But Jesus, Jesus had a thing with crowds. He saw them with compassion. He saw them with love. It's different. But seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, let's pause there for a while. But what is so significant about mountains? You always hear the mountains, the mountain of our Lord. Remember that? But if you look at, if you search through Matthew, you'd be surprised that Matthew clearly places these special events when God would speak to His people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, 8, remember the temptation of Jesus? Remember that? Jesus was taken up where? In the mountain. Another thing is that in in Matthew 17, verse 1, the mountain of transfiguration, okay? We all know this. Uh, Peter and the rest of the disciples says, let's make a, you know, why don't we just feel good about this place, make a home here. It was in a mountain. And also the mountain of the resurrection appearance, where the great commission was given. Okay, it was also on the mountain. Mountains in Scripture often associated with God giving His revelation to His people. We all know Moses received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, Right? And it's as if Jesus coming up on the Sermon on the Mount, coming up on this mountain, revealing this time, revealing this time, not just giving the, you know, the Ten Commandments, but He's revealing now this law 
is now being fulfilled. In this case, Jesus now was revealing His kingdom to His disciples. Now, there were the crowds, okay? There were the crowds, but first and foremost, the audience of Jesus were His disciples. In our context, that's you and me. How many disciples of Jesus do we have here today? All right, that's all of us. If you love God, if you're a Christian today, if you believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? This is for you. This is for us. And then he pronounces the very first word, okay? He opened his mouth, okay? Teaching the disciples, opened his mouth. And the first word that comes out from his mouth is this. He says, blessed. Wow. It's not, listen to me. But he says, blessed. Jesus used word blessed nine times, not only once, but nine times times from verses 3 to 11 to describe okay, the status of every citizen of his kingdom. It's an amazing thing. And we all know this as the Beatitudes. How many of you know the Beatitudes? You've heard that before? Okay, in high school, we've seen that in our you know, frame, picture frame. That's a Beatitudes thing. How many of you know that there are only four? How many of you disagree? How many of you know it's eight? How many of you know it's nine? How many of you don't know? I don't know. All right. We'll know. I'm glad you're honest. Praise God. But the English word beatitude is basically uh, coming from that word attitude, right? However, the word attitude or beatitude is really derived from a Latin term called uh, beatus. Not brutus, but beatus. Okay? Meaning blessed. It is only, it's only a coincidence that the English language thought of the idea that this is the be attitudes, okay? The attitudes of being, okay? But the reality, the real meaning of beatitudes is blessed. So the question is, what does it mean to be blessed? What's the meaning of blessed? Okay? Well, the Greek word for blessed is this. It's called makarios. Makarios, okay, which pertains to people who are being especially favored, fortunate, happy, and privileged. I mean, all those words. How many of you like to be that? How many of you like to be blessed? My goodness. Why am I talking to... You don't want to be blessed? You want to be blessed. Amen. All right. The Greek word for this, however, okay, however, comes from another root word called makar. Okay, now you can listen to this. So makarios means favored, fortunate, happy, and privileged. But the root word makar, also a Greek word, it speaks of being happy in a way that is not dependent on circumstances. This is the kind of happiness that is unaffected by poverty, by your problems, by the death, by death, faced by men. In other words, it is a state of contentment and bliss unaffected by circumstances. Okay? Big difference between blessed and happy. Happy, how many of you also are happy? You're happy, you're happy you get a raise, you're happy you have a new uh, phone, new car, new house. You're happy. These are external things that are happening for you and you're happy. But take out those external things, the question is, will you still be happy? 
That's the question. If you are going through poverty, if you are going through problems, will you still be happy? And Jesus said, blessed has nothing to do with temporary happiness that is dependent on external things. Jesus blessed is a kind of happiness, a state of contentment and bliss unaffected by any circumstance. This kind of bless is what you can call the state of blessedness. See, the reality is, if truth be told again to all of us, when we go through life's difficult times, we feel miserable, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Like, you know, uh, Yang said a while ago, you can just be honest and say, I'm weak. I, yeah. But the kind of blessed that Jesus was saying is this kind of blessed. It does not matter what circumstance you are in. You are just blessed. It's kind of like being a superhero. You know what a superhero is? A superhero just stands there. All the machine guns, all the bullets, like you know, Wonder Woman did that, and Superman did this. Batman just ran away, you know, because he had no superpowers. But it's kind of like you are the blessed man. You know the blessed man is just stand, you stand there, and no matter what circumstance that you're in, hey, I'm blessed. I'm still happy. That's why when people look at you, okay, you're a Christian, they look at you with, with, you know, with surprise. You know, this guy is weird. I mean, how can this person still smile? He lost his house. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost blah, 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 and all those stuff. But he manages to smile. In my, in my first year of marriage, okay, we had, uh, we lost our, I lost my business. I had nothing. We had nothing. So I was so miserable. My happiness was no happiness at all. I was so unhappy. I was ungrateful. I was angry at God even. When I look at my wife, it's just amazing how she can still smile at a time of crisis. I cannot imagine what she has. Because I wasn't saved yet. She was, you know, she was already saved. She was a Christian. I wasn't. I was just looking at her life and I said, what? It's either I married a crazy wife or it's a true thing. So, of course, I find, I find out that the reality is it's because she is blessed. No matter what circumstance that we were facing, she would always say, God is good. Amen. So the question next is this, who are blessed? We love that word. You want to be the Superman blessed, right? No matter what arrows or storms or whatever happens, you're just not, you know, you're okay. But who are blessed? Who are given this superpower, if I may say? Who are blessed? Let's look at scriptures. First of all, Jesus said, those who are poor in spirit. Now, we're not talking about poor economically, okay? We're not talking about poor, okay, pastor, see, uh, blessed are the poor in the spirit. So, I sold everything, I have nothing, I gave away everything, I'll be poor. No, we're not talking about that kind of poor to be blessed, okay? Because if that is the case, then David, okay, was rich, Solomon was rich, uh, Abraham was rich. In fact, the author of this gospel, Matthew, he's a tax collector and he's also rich, has nothing to do with economic things. 
This poor in spirit is something else. The expression poor in spirit really is related to biblical humility. What the Bible says about humility. Where a man sees himself according to the word of God. In other words, it is, a, it is an acceptance of your state, your spiritual state, that you are nothing. In fact, the word poor is not, you know, if you translate that, if you really get the true meaning, it was just more than poor. It was beggar poor. In other words, you're like dust. I mean, the lowest position ever is a beggar. The moment you understand and you have accepted okay, your spiritual condition as poor, this is the time you get blessed. In fact, many, many commentators wrote about this saying that this is actually the foundation of your salvation. It's easy for us as preachers to say, hey, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you want salvation? Go ahead. Just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. There's one thing missing. It's this one. You see, if a person is not able to accept that he is spiritually poor, there is no salvation for him. He cannot repent unless he sees his condition as dirt. That he has no you know, that he has no way of helping himself up, that he has to depend on our God. A beautiful example of this being poor in spirit is found in the prayer of the tax collector. You remember this? The tax collector said, you know, standing far off, he would not even raise his, his, head, uh, his eyes to heaven. This is what he says. He beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Of course, the Pharisees was beside him, and the Pharisee said, Thank you, God, I am not the sinner like him. We're not talking about spiritual, you know, I am more spirited than you. No, it's about being poor in spirit. If you don't get this, you don't get the other Beatitudes. In fact, if you don't get poor in spirit, you don't get to be a Christian. There's, there's no acceptance if you're still high and mighty and proud that I am still who I am. Without understanding that, wait a minute, I am poor. I have poverty in my spirit. You could be the poorest of poor, but you still are you know, poor in your spirit. That's the kind of people that Jesus wanted to bless. Secondly, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn over their sins. In other words, they have a repentant heart. Those people who grieve. You know, you know how it is? In fact, Mourning here is like basically literally saying that someone really close to you, the one that you really love, died. It's the same word that Jacob felt when he lost Joseph. When he heard the news that Joseph was, was killed, was murdered. That's the kind of mourning, but not to the dead. Mourning over your sin that it has actually offended a loving God. That is the kind of mourning that Jesus wants to bless. Third, he says, the meek. Blessed are the meek. The ones who are humble or gentle or kind-hearted. Okay? They're not the weak things. Okay? Don't misunderstand. When you're meek, you're not weak. Although we are weak. 
Well, when you're meek, that means you have a gentle, kind-hearted spirit. Humble. And get this, self-controlled. You see, you can be meek and people will misunderstand that as weakness. But to God, no, meekness is about being self-controlled. You don't do things right away, rashly. That's the kind of people that Jesus wanted to bless. And he says, bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who actively seek the right standing with God. Remember last week, you had the preaching on Joseph. Bodhi was here. He preached on Joseph. Remember, uh, Yeah, Joseph. And we remember that the time that he was running away from Potiphar. Why is that? Because he didn't want to destroy his right standing with God by sinning against God. This is the kind of people that Jesus wanted to bless. How about this? The merciful. Greek word for merciful is ilimon. means to be compassionate, to feel sympathy with the misery of another, and especially sympathy manifested in action. It's one thing to say, hey, I, I pity this guy, and that's it. But not do anything. But the merciful does something. You know, I was, we were... We had our um, class last Thursday, and uh, Pastor Bruce Fiddler basically told us about how merciful our God is. And I was just amazed. Because if you understand the word mercy, mercy to me is this. Mercy is uh, not getting what you deserve, right? You're supposed to be punished by God for your sins, but he says, no, 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 I won't punish you. I won't give you what you deserve. But when we understand scriptures about the mercy of God, it's different. You know how mercy is in the eyes of God and the heart of God? It's not about the punishment, but He looks at you, He stares at you, and sees that you are helpless. That there is no way in your own ability that can save you. See, that's the kind of mercy that God gives us. He sees all of us helpless, cannot do anything but to trust God, to ask God. That's the same mercy. Be merciful. You won't be merciful. Remember the, 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 the parable of Jesus of the unmerciful servant, right? What happened? He was given mercy, but to the others, to other servants, he was not merciful. How can that be? Remember, the starting point is being poor in spirit. Then you could be merciful. What else? Jesus says that you are blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character. In fact, pure in heart should not just be restricted to, you know, moral or sexual purity. That's not just about it, okay? It actually denotes if you, if you truly love God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that means you have this undivided loyalty to God and God alone. That's the kind of purity. You do not mix your loyalty to God. That's the kind of pure heart that Jesus looks at. What else? The peacemakers. Okay? We have the, do we have the soldiers that, how do you call them? Peacemakers. We have a group of that, right? Peace Corps, we're not talking about that. We're talking about Christians, you and me, okay, who are able to bring peace, 
who are able to bring reconciliation, who are able to bring forgiveness, who are able to mend broken relationships wherever you are. That's the kind that God or Jesus Christ wants to bless. He says also, bless those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Those who are persecuted and treated badly for doing what is morally right. I have a friend. Okay, I have a friend. Good friend. When I was young in the Lord, he was one of the, still is the leader of, one of the leaders of our church. Um, may I say elder. But this friend of mine, I looked to him. Why? Because he was really inspiring. He never, he never gave up on doing what is right. Even if the norm in their company was to give under the table money or grease money to, to do things, to make things you know, go, he and his team, okay, he's in sales, he and his team says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust God. We're going to stand on God's word that He will be my blessing. He will be my source. With that, you know, at the end of that year, they became top in sales. Promoted. God blessed him. He would not compromise. Those who are persecuted, even if they were persecuted, but for righteousness' sake. What else? Jesus says, blessed are you. Okay, can you turn to your neighbor and say, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Jesus' account. But not your account. It has to be Jesus' account. All right? Because it might be your fault. That's why they're, you know, probably you've sinned against them. That's why you're receiving that. But on Jesus' account, Bible says you will be blessed. When people insult you and persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your association with Jesus. I heard that way. Um, in fact, uh, when I first got saved, I was a Christian. I was, in fact, I'm the only Christian in our house, in our family rather. And they heard about this and they were sort of like persecuting, not the persecution of King Herod. You remember that? Uh, Nero, not that kind of person. The persecution was insults. Okay? You change your religion. Once you're this, you should die like this. You can't be that. You can't. I heard everything. I sat down with the elders of our old church. Yep. Including my mom, my uncle, my sister, my sister-in-law, just to, you know, sort of like persecute me for what I believe. And Jesus says, you're blessed. Weird, huh? Jesus says, you're blessed. Look at what Andrew Kojak says. All nine Beatitudes, if attentively read, are totally unacceptable to modern culture as well as any civilization which advocates not poverty but wealth, not sorrow or mourning but merriment and happiness, not meekness but aggressiveness, not spiritual self-perfection but pragmatic self-assertion, not acceptance of persecution but the pursuit of popularity. It does not make sense to the people outside. Can't. Can you imagine you're blessed when you are persecuted? You're blessed when you are, you know, 
when you're poor in spirit, when you're mournful, you're meek, you're hungry, thirsty for righteousness, all of these things are totally different. It's like a paradox. It's just an amazing thing. But that is what Jesus calls blessed. Now, you need to understand that this beatitude has to be taken as a whole. Everybody say whole. You just cannot say, Jesus, I can go for the meekness, but I can't go for the persecution. Say, Jesus, I, I like the persecution, but not the merciful. No. All these beatitudes, these blessings that God gives us has to be taken as a whole if you are to be called a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ. It has to come together. So the question is, what are the blessings, right? What's the reward? Well, let me just put it in one picture. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called sons of God. But it's quite interesting at the beginning, the reward was theirs is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It didn't say the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. But it says is. It's present. In other words, there is something, okay? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, there is something, something already that is at your grasp that you possess. The kingdom of heaven is already with us. You know why? Well, first of all, I know I'm forgiven. I got that. Are you forgiven? Um, second, does God still count your mistakes, your sin? No. Um, third, I also possess eternity. I don't have it yet, but because I have Jesus in my life, I have possessed eternity right now at this moment. I have it. You have it. If you are in Christ, then you possess something, the reward. You have it now, but you're going to have it later. It's that sense of joy and satisfaction that you have regardless of what you go through in life, regardless if you're being persecuted, regardless of all the problems in the world. I still have that joy. You know, I, most of you know this, but we saw, we saw a different perspective as a friend, as a co-worker with Pastor Ariel. I saw what, what Pastor Ariel and Shirley went through, seeing the ordeal of, uh, you know, bringing Jerome to the hospital, you know, fighting for his life, and all of us are praying. But yet, Sunday after Sunday, it puzzles me how Pastor Ariel from Asian Hospital will just dress up, suit up, and come to the service, and he'd preach again. Next Sunday, after that Sunday, he goes back to the hospital with his son. Next Sunday, comes in, preaches again. I mean, he could have just asked us, bro, can you just preach for me? And I'd understand. But what is the difference with this man? Because he's poor in spirit. What's the difference with this man? Because Christ is in him. 
He is not moved by any circumstance. He stays there. It's painful. Not, I'm not saying it's not. It's painful. We saw the pain and agony. But, but, he holds, he holds the promise that the kingdom of heaven is with him. Jerome might not be here, but we know that he is in heaven. We not be here, but we're, we have this eternal perspective. In fact, John Stott said, said this, the blessings promised as an unearned free gift are the gloriously comprehensive blessing. It says comprehensive. Everybody say comprehensive. That means you can understand this. I mean, it's, it's there within reach. Comprehensive. Uh, yeah, the many things that He can give us. Okay? Blessings of God's rule, meaning His kingdom. Tasted when? Now. And consummated when? Later. Including the inheritance of both earth and heaven. You know that our inheritance is both earth and heaven. Again, going back to our school, guess what I've learned? I've learned that Jesus, yes, He gives us salvation, but it's not about just our salvation. He wants to save us, that's good, but He also wants to redeem His creation. It's not just about us. He still cares for our environment. He still cares about the sea, the mountains. Probably that's why He's in the Sermon on the Mount. But he is actually concerned about this. And he says, when he returns in all his glory, Jesus will not just save us, but he will restore and redeem what was lost by the first man here on earth. And that's an amazing picture. And I don't know how it that looked, but it's probably amazing. Amen? This is a quote from John, John Stott. Okay? And what else? He says, comfort satisfaction and mercy and uh, vision and get this sonship of god no longer a sinner no longer a slave to sin no longer the servant but now you're called sons and daughters of god isn't that amazing that is the reward that we have paul says as i end in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, he sort of like summarizes this in Christ. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless for Him. It, the blessing is in Christ. And I have only one point for our preaching. It's just as simple as this. Our blessing in Christ causes us to be like Christ. Because if you put all the Beatitudes together, think about this. Who was poor in spirit? Jesus. Who mourned? Bible says that he was a man of sorrow. Who's meek, gentle, self-controlled? That's Jesus. Who was merciful? Jesus. Who was persecuted? Jesus. That's why our blessing, things that we have right now, the blessing in Christ, well, it should cause us to live like Christ, to live poor in spirit. That's where we're blessed. Amen? Amen. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God that we are blessed. Thank you, Lord God, that our blessings are not dependent on external things. 
on material wealth, material possession, on fame, on fortune, on power, popularity. Thank you, Lord God, that our, we are blessed simply because we have you in our life. So, Lord, we just humble ourselves today. Lord, if we have acted in such a way that we are not poor in spirit, that we, have, we think that we are some spiritual giant because we've been in, you know, in church for so long. Lord, let it be a journey every single day for us to be poor in spirit, to be humble before you, to accept the fact that we are you know, dependent on you. So Lord, we just come here and repent before you. In fact, if that's you, just, just come before God and say, Lord, I repent. Thank you, Lord God, that because of this word, I have already received your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you are merciful to me. So Lord, we just come and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that you have called us in your kingdom. So may we live like you in Jesus' name. Amen.